following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. The fourth and fifth graders are taking off. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew. This is where we're going to be at today. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be at today. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four Gospels. And uh, they talk about Jesus' life, his death, and then his resurrection, which is the gospel. Um, that Christ came, Christ died, and then Christ rose again. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verse 27 uh, to 30 today. Matthew chapter 25, uh, or Matthew 5, 27 through 30. These are Jesus' words. He's given his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He is talking to his disciples, the 12 that he called, and then the people who left their homes and everything to follow him. As I was studying for this sermon, I started to think about my faucet in my kitchen. And my faucet in my kitchen is a little bit tricky. What happens is, essentially, if you do not seat it correctly, it will drip. And we know that it does this because we'll come um, either downstairs or uh, we'll come uh, from somewhere else in the house and you'll see all these little splatter marks that have uh, kind of transpired or manifested themselves because uh, the faucet shut off. So constantly in my house, it's, do you uh, or did you shut off the faucet? Now I was thinking to myself, what would happen if we were to leave for the day and somebody were to put the stopper in the sink? You know what I'm saying? That little black thing goes in the sink. Maybe yours is a different color. I don't know. That's what just color mine is, right? But what were to happen well, the water would essentially build up, and then it would um, continue uh, to essentially um, get bigger and bigger. And then I was thinking, what if I were to leave for like a month or like a year, and I didn't turn off the faucet? Now, this is something you can pray for me about, because I leave the house constantly thinking if it is still running or not. Same with um, the, uh, the stove. Have you ever done that? Like, you get halfway, and you're like, did I turn off the stove? Did I turn off the faucet? Because we know that little things, if they're left unchecked, can become big problems, correct? Little things, if you leave them unchecked, can become massive problems. And Jesus is going to talk to us here today in the text, and he's going to say specifically that thing. If you leave something unchecked in your heart, it can lead to big time damage in your life. And so I don't know what that big thing or that little thing in your life is, but I know we all have something. And Jesus hits on pretty much every single one of the things in our life that transpires in the text. And it's interesting, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and I said, hey, if you want to build a church, don't preach Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. I said, because it's not encouraging a whole lot. It's more kind of convicting than anything else. But it's what we need, because we don't conform to the world standards, we conform to the word standards. Amen? So we believe in all the 66 books of the Bible, they are true, they're God's words, and we don't take out the black sharpie and start to scratch off what we don't like about it. We just barrel on and we participate, right? Because God has a plan for your life and for my life. So previous verses, Jesus already spoke about anger, and now he's going to use even more strong language to push his followers to get rid of sin that trickles in their life. If you trust Christ, you discipline yourself. You could see huge gains in regards to godliness, to eliminate those personal motives, those temptations. 
You're not able to do them by yourselves, but you can do them through Christ who gives you strength. These um, are what Jesus is going to say to us today that we need to radically amputate and to eliminate and get rid of in our life. There are things that you have in your life, I have in my life, we need to radically amputate and get rid of. And before we go any farther, let's just ask God's blessing on the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. And as you and I have talked this past week and prayed very specifically for this message, um, I ask now that you do a great work here in this place and for those who will hear it later on. God, I pray that um, there's clarity here, there's concern here, there's conviction here, but also on the other side of that, it wouldn't be a message that beats us up, but it encourages us and spurs us on to a life of godliness because we know it's worth it. That when we discipline ourselves and and when we're convicted by what the word says and when we turn from ourselves and and come uh, into a relationship with you, that there's peace and joy and there's fruit, as you say, of the spirit who dwells within us. And so for those that don't know you as Savior, uh, may this be the day that they turn from themselves and come to know you. And for those of us who have confessed with our mouths that we're sinners and believed that Jesus is the Messiah and he's the Savior, will you mature us in a relationship with you and help us not to be puffed up with knowledge as some are, but may we implement accordingly. For you know, as you told Jeremiah, the plans that you have for us are to prosper. And not to harm us, but that you seek our best. And when you give us guidelines and rules and regulations, we aren't to run from them, but we're to run to them because they help us and because they give us life. And so we love you, Jesus. We thank you for the fact that you came, died, and rose again. Now do a great work here in your church, according to your word and your will. It's in your name that we pray. Amen? Amen means I agree. Okay, good. You agree? Some of you at least. We'll see what happens. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus speaking, not Jordan. Thank the Lord for that. Verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yikes. Let's just stop there for a second and we'll unpack that and see what that has to say. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament here, the Ten Commandments specifically, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. And that says, you shall not commit adultery, saying that according to the Old Testament law, a person was not supposed to fornicate with anybody other than their spouse. And Jesus fulfills here what the Old Testament prophets have said because he is expanding on what they meant going after the heart of the person, okay? So Jesus, the key verse in Matthew chapter 5 is that he is a fulfillment of the Old Testament law and the prophets. That means he does three things. Number one, he obeys them fully. Number two, he has the ability because of his obedience to clarify what they're saying because sometimes we're ignorant and don't understand all of God's word. Amen? Okay? And then he is going to complete them later on. By dying on the cross, but also in Revelation, there's promises that come to fruition as well. So Jesus being Messiah gets the opportunity to fulfill. And he says, listen, I'm going to go for your heart because it is where your heart that all your outcome happens. And he says, as a fulfillment, one who internally desires to be intimate with somebody else other than their spouse is adultery. I think some of the people probably got up and walked away. Right? They're like, um, this is a little difficult. 
But here's what happened. The teachers of the day, if you were sitting there and heard Jesus say these things, essentially you would say, well, I've never committed the act, so therefore I'm okay. If you go back a couple of verses, right, where Jesus talks about anger being on the same page as murder, essentially what he's saying is the people and the teachers of the law and the scribes who had elevated themselves to a status in society where they were above other people, they said, just because I didn't do the actual act itself means that I must be okay. But Jesus is saying you're so far from God when you do those things, you have to essentially uh, eliminate the self-pride that you have internally and Turn that over to God and realize that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That all are sinners and deserve of death. Now, the key word here that Jesus uses is in verse 28, the very first part, when he says, looks. If you want to circle that in your Bible, you totally can. And what Jesus is talking about here is the eyes, okay? He says, this is where we focus our eyes, The lusting of the flesh comes from the eyes. It is a desire to possess what we have visually seen. In the Old Testament, the word covet is there. Now, we could lump, okay, into this uh, exegesis that Jesus is essentially saying, or these words that Jesus is saying, not just the coveting after female, uh, male to female or, or female to male. We could say anything that you lust after that is not of God is wrong. And Jesus says anything that you covet could be people or objects or desire or motives Ooh. is wrong if it's not of God. Okay, to covet with the eyes is, uh, is something that the enemy used in the Garden of Eden uh, with Eve. Remember, he showed her the fruit. Did God surely say that you shouldn't eat from this? John chapter 2 will elaborate on this. Everything in the world The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. The world is a system in which Satan uses unsaved individuals, people who have not confessed and believed that Jesus is the Messiah, in order to accomplish his will and his purposes. So anytime you desire that which is worldly, you run or flee from the things that are godly. Anytime that you desire something that is worldly, you're essentially running to the arms of Satan, who is not your spouse, if you know Jesus, okay? And Jesus says, this is a big deal to God. That verse continues, and it says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God would live forever. So the prayer here that Jesus would have for us, maybe this should be your prayer and my prayer, is that God would give me a set of eternal eyes and eliminate my earthly eyes. That God would give me a set of eternal eyes. Help me to see the things that are not of this world, that are of him, And not focus on that which is of the world. 2 Corinthians elaborates on this in chapter 4 where it says, We fix our eyes on what is unseen. Because we know that which is unseen is eternal. And is from God. And it helps us. It builds us up. That which is earthly fades away like rust. It becomes something that is useless. Now, I kind of understand this. The world is full of eye candy, right? It's not just people, but it's also things. When I was growing up, I grew up in Monmouth, Illinois, and we would do these things called living windows. It was every Christmas time we would go to the town square, which was really a circle, and we would go and we would walk around town, and uh, what would happen is these windows would come alive, right? So people would stand in the windows, and they would display all these objects. Freeman does something kind of like this, uh, but not even close to the scale that it was when I was a kid. (laughs) 
And uh, what would happen is people would make these objects like come alive and want you to buy them. So there was always like goofy stuff there. It was the only time when the town essentially was welcoming child labor and saying, hey, we could put little kids to do our bidding so that you'll buy our products, right? And everybody was totally okay with it. And so you would walk around and you would see all of these material possessions and they promised happiness, like little sugar plum fairies are like, here, buy the dentist's new toothpaste. What? As if that's even a thing. And here we see not just the living windows in regards to my town, but it happens all over the place. Now it's been replaced with things like Amazon and Pinterest and pick your poison, right? Pastor Jordan, you're really popping a hole in my bubble today. I'm the one up here talking and it is hot, Okay. <clears throat> Kind of reminds me of the guy who lost one eye and somebody was looking at him and they just took pity on him and they said, man, it's so bad that you had lost one of your eyes. We just feel so bad for you. And the man looked back at the people who would say that to him. He says, don't feel bad because I've lost one of my enemies, a thief who has at times stolen my heart. If there was one sense that I could have taken away, it would be my vision. As a matter of fact, I wear contacts and uh, there's so often times where I take them out at night and I'm almost relieved because I can't see anymore. Um, I'll never forget uh, Kevin Ingle when his grandma died. He uh, got up here and he was a little nervous to speak in front of people. Sorry, Kevin, this just kind of popped up to me. This is good. And he took his glasses off and he was like, I can't see you anymore. And so the nerves had gone away. And I wonder if that's true too in our relationship with Jesus. If we would just take our earthly glasses off for a moment, we would see that which is eternal and what God has in store for us. The goal here in Philippians chapter three is that you would know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings is what the Bible says. And when your eyes are set on Jesus, that's Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, in view of eternity, it is the only way to overcome this lustful intent that Jesus talks about. It's the only way to overcome these things. So the prayer has to be, God, give me a set of eternal eyes. Help me to remove this earthly vision that I have, a desire of people and objects and motives and all these other things. And let me fix my eyes on Christ. And Matthew, if you just jump uh, one chapter over in chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus will say, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your vision, your eternal vision is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And we know that God's word is a lamp into our feet. And if we allow Jesus to light up our path with our eternal eyes, major things happen. Now, Jesus, in the second part of this verse, uses lustful intent or focused passion or a great desire. One of our elders, he said, the first look gives you the opportunity to look away. The second look is a big deal, right? It's the second look that's a problem. And I, had a, I told a friend of mine once that was struggling with lust about that, and I said, man, it's the second look that kills you. He says, what if I just don't look twice? I just stay focused on the one. So I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I didn't know what to say to him. Um, well played, I guess. <clears throat> This is the, the lust over a relationship, or again, it could be an object or anything like that. It's a focused look. It's, it's the creepy look, amen, right? When he's like, you need to look away. Job would say in chapter 31 that lust, this intense desire, is as shameful sin, a crime that should be punished, is a devastating fire that destroys hell. Lustful intent is deliberate disobedience. It's when we know the things that we should do and we deliberately 
disobey them. Hmm. It's interesting, in the Bible, it's the thing that we know is wrong, but we proceed with it regardless. Do you have one of those things in your life? Where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that thing is not for you, but you proceed regardless. And some people will look at it, and we've heard this a couple of times in the ministry. They'll say, well, Pastor Jordan, um, I've already committed that in my heart, so I might as well just do it. That's the dumbest thing you could ever say, right? That's like saying, I've already burnt my finger on the stove. I might as well just shove the whole thing in it and get this thing over with. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's false. That's deliberate disobedience. I've already done this act, and so therefore I might as well go deeper in it. I might as well justify it even more. Let me give you a couple passages of Scripture. Number chapter 15 says, The person who does anything defiantly, that's deliberate disobedience, is blaspheming the Lord and shall be cut off from among his people. So in the Old Testament, if you did this, like, they would kick you out of the community, right? This is a big problem. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Wrap your minds around that, that sometimes God doesn't hear the prayers of his followers because sin that is deliberate has created distance between us and him. The passage continues and it says, But fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of hell and fire that will consume the adversaries. Ouch. The more we take a second look, ready for this? And I say this as heartfelt as I possibly can because I've wrestled with this all week, if not longer. The more you take second looks at the things of this earth, the more you should question your salvation if you really know Jesus. The more you look at things twice that are worldly, the more we should question whether or not we really know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Because well, look at this in verse in 28, this, the last part. He, he talks about the heart. And he says, what you do reveals the status of your heart. That word heart here is interesting. It's the word cardia, which is mentioned over 800 times in Scripture. It's talked about all over the place. But it never refers to your literal heart, Right? There's never a place in the Bible where it's like the, the vessel that pumps blood. That's not what we talk about there. Instead, heart is only used figuratively in the Old and New Testament, and it speaks of the emotional center of your being. It is a place where our capacity of moral preference occurs. It means that when the Bible says heart, it is saying this is where our desire and our decisions are made that determine who we really are. It is our character. Our character is formulated in our hearts. Now, why would Jesus use heart last after he's already spoke of the eyes and of lustful intent, the motive? Because what he's doing here is he's essentially showing us very clearly that if the inside is clean, then the outside will follow suit. And so you should focus on the inside first. We were talking about this in the nine o'clock hour. When I first came to know Jesus, um, I would try to change like my behavior, Right? Like, I was like, oh, I have the appearance of godliness, if you will, right? So instead of saying bad things about people out loud, we just say them quietly in my heart, right? You ever do that? So that you give the appearance of godliness. <clears throat> now, the older I get, the more I'm questioning this thing. <laughs> like, what I say to myself inside makes me truly tremble. <laughs> we use words like this in our society, like, he put all of his heart into it. Or maybe uh, she shows a lot of heart, which was always in my neck of the woods uh, when I was in school. They would say, Jordan, at least you gave it 
a lot of heart, but hearts didn't produce A's. They were more F's. <clears throat> so later on down the road. So what he's saying is, what Jesus is saying here, culminate all this together. He says, the more you choose where to focus your eyes, where you let them rest, the more things of the world pass away. In Jeremiah chapter 4, it will say, cleanse your heart so that you may be saved. In Proverbs chapter 4, it will say, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. In other words, give lots of thought to your thoughts. Give lots of thought to where you make decisions and why you make decisions and how you make decisions. Now, why would Jesus go from murder to uh, essentially lust? This is kind of weird to me. Is he cherry picking from the Old Testament? Jesus is moving from sin of not loving because that's what anger is. If you missed that, you can go into our website and hear that uh, message from last week. He's essentially saying, if you're angry, you cannot truly love. And here he goes into essentially what he's saying is fidelity or the opposite of faithfulness. So he, he, he camps here for a minute because what he's saying is if there is lust, whether it be a person, an object, a motive, a desire, whatever the case may be that is not godly, then what's transpiring here is he's saying we cannot be faithful. See, marriage is a symbol of our relationship with Christ. To seek the other person's best, to be faithful, keeps the marriage strong. And he's essentially saying here, I want you to keep the relationship strong. Don't leave it unchecked. Don't let it drip. Because essentially what happens is it's a slow process with devastating results. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, God has called us to be holy not to live impure lives. Anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human rules, but rejecting God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Okay, so now we have like a foundation and a prayer. Like, God, give me eternal eyes and help me do this. But uh, how does that look in real life? Well, good thing Jesus elaborates, right? Here's what he says. <clears throat> Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, knowing all these things, okay? Essentially is what he's saying. Knowing all these things that you know now, Okay, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. <laughs> For it is better that you lose only one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, put your pocket knives away for a second, all right, before you go cutting out your eyes. I'll, I'll explain that in a second. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut that off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into the pit of hell. He's already talked about hell. Okay, that was last week. But here is what he's talking about, and here is how you overcome the lustful intent that is moving in your life. Ready for this? It's called radical amputation. Radical amputation. It's not enough to just know all of what we know now from Jesus' words. Now he says we move into radical amputation, which is the application of knowledge that comes through obedience. It's you doing something with what you know to be true. After all of this, Jesus is speaking figuratively. Thank the Lord he is speaking figuratively here. Can you imagine how bad that would have been in that time period? <clears throat> Everybody breaking out their knives. But he uses strong language to describe how you get those eternal eyes. Look, at he says, tear it out and throw it away. Radical amputation means that believers immediately... In the book of Mark, it says over and over again, immediately Jesus did this. Immediately the disciples did this. Immediately they were healed. Immediately something happened. Read the book of Mark. Over and over again, you see that word repetitively. 
Immediately, immediately, immediately. Radical amputation means believers immediately get rid of any relationship, practice, or activity that leads to sin. Immediately. Play with it. You don't sit there and let it manifest itself in your life. You shut the sink off. It is ridiculous to let that thing drip. He says you immediately cut out that sin. You amputate it. If you were to go to the doctor, right? And the doctor looked at you, looked at you over from head to toe. And he's like, you know what? You look great. Except there's just one problem. You have a tumor in your arm that is essentially going to eat your whole entire body away and you'll die if you don't cut off your arm. And you look back at the doctor and you're like, I kind of like, I'm left-handed and you said it's in my left hand, right? Like, so I'm kind of partial to this limb. It's been with me since I was a kid. And he looks at you and says, we have to cut it off. There's no other option, right? It would be ridiculous for me to look at the doctor and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And walk out of that office. There's no way. He would look at me and go, that guy is a moron. But this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, in order to save your life, you have to amputate something that is eating away at it. And immediately he says, you remove it. So believers should willingly cut off any temptation. People, objects, right? Guys, you have a relationship at work. Right? And you can't leave your job. You're like, Jordan, I'm not leaving my job. Ready for this? Uh, I don't talk to that woman anymore if I'm sexually attracted to her. Like, she's not allowed to converse with me anymore. And she might look at me and go, hey, why can't I talk to you? Because I will do bad things if this relationship continues. That's self-discipline. You're setting up security for yourself. And it's not just with guys. It's with girls, too, at the same time. It can happen both ways. You you eliminate that relationship, okay? It's the same with um, objects. You have something in your life that causes you to sin. Ready for this? If your computer causes you to sin, get rid of your computer. Uh, Jordan, I can't. People lived for thousands of years without technological devices. Like hundreds of thousands of years, okay? I'm not gonna say millions because then that defines my theology, but get rid of it. Oh, I can't. It's, it's my work computer. Get ready for this? Then it goes in the living room where everybody can see your screen. Okay? We eliminate those things. We cut them off. How about habits? I'm, I, I know this hurts a little bit, okay? But I, I've been here all week. Like, what about, what about a habit? Okay? They make timers now for your uh, refrigerators. They lock themselves up, right? If you don't have enough self-discipline to leave the cookies in the refrigerator, right, then you buy a lock and you lock it. And you give your wife permission to know the password because that's where my mind would go, right? Like, well, I bought it, but I know the password, okay? Um, habits, anything that leads us away from Christ has to be immediately eliminated. Like, I heard a guy one time uh, struggled with a specific sin on his cell phone, chucked his cell phone out the window as he was driving, goes, I don't need it anymore. Like, that's radical amputation. Radical amputation is uh, things like tobacco, cigarettes, stuff like that. You crumple them up and you throw them away and you go, I can't do it by myself. And guess what? You're in the right spot because you can't. You cannot do things by yourself, but through Christ, I can do all things because he enables me. Okay? It is giving Jesus the opportunity to be true to his word and saying that he's going to take drastic action as you continue drastic obedience. 
Jesus explained it's better to lose something worldly than to be thrown in hell. Let me give you a couple of verses. Mark chapter uh, 8 speaks of this. If anyone wishes to come after me, this is Jesus speaking, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Keyword, deny. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He died for all so that they might live no longer for themselves. but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul says in Galatians chapter two, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. But I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. But that's where faith and dependency comes on. The Bible tells us to fast. You wanna know why? Because every time you get hungry, then you realize your dependency upon God. Do you think it's just coincidence that God puts little things in our life so that they point us back to him? No, it's how it's supposed to work. It's by faith that I live in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. First Peter chapter four, live the rest of your time on earth. The rest of your time here, no longer in the flesh or after the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Believers would gladly give up that which is earthly for that which is eternal. You gladly do it. If we're constantly choosing the world, ready for this? We may need to consider if we truly love the word. And God doesn't, God doesn't against you if you have nice things, right? He's not, he's not looking at you saying, hey, like, hey uh, sell your, um, your Lexus for like a, a, a beater. He's not, he's not doing that. He's saying, but if that cause, that Lexus causes you to sin and puts you above other people, then you should probably get rid of it, right? He's not looking at you saying like, hey, it's bad for you to desire to have a, a position at work, right? That's, that's, not, that's not bad. But if that position is overriding your desire to become godly, then it is bad. See, he lives in this balance. I remember when um, Beth and I first got married, I would, I would get so frustrated with Jesus when I read my Bible. Because I was like, Bethany, he says that I can do this, but, but, but not that far. And he, he, says, he says, Jordan, you can go out in the world, but don't be of it. Jesus is frustrating, right? He says, you can look at things, but don't touch them. Like, this is, this is, this is fr- Jesus, you're frustrating. And he's like, you think I'm frustrating? <laughs> you're frustrating. But you will constantly need to evaluate in your relationship with Jesus how much you choose the world. And if we're constantly choosing the world, we may need to consider if we love the word. If anything, Jesus is calling us back to loving him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Then the strength comes and follows suit. Radical amputation. Things like the phone, the computer. Ready for this? Uh, Books. Because some of you guys are like, I don't like technology. Yeah, but you love romantic love novels and those need to go away. Not the good Amish kind. Okay. <laughs> See, it's funny because it's true, right? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <sighs> Lori Witt gets to stay on the shelf. Like, you're super excited. All right. Um, how, about, how about things like credit cards? Maybe you need to cut those up. How about carrying cash? Like, if, if carrying cash is a problem because you spend it all, maybe that's not me. Ready for this? Because I'm going I'm to hit on a couple other things that maybe make you uncomfortable. What about mirrors? Okay, maybe you need to eliminate those. 
You spend way too much time in front of the mirror. How about um, food? I mean, these are things that Jesus calls us. Because I think sometimes we look at it and we go, well, I'm okay in regards to the big sins. But I think Jesus, especially with believers, he's after more of the little gritty details. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Let us uh, not be like others who are worldly, who are asleep, but let us be awake and ready for this, sober. Free from the things that distract us in our relationship with Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, humble and discipline yourself. And here's the deal. It, it takes years. Like some of us think that we're going to do this and we're going to be clean and Jesus is just going to come in. I mean, there's nothing worse than when you're struggling with a specific sin or temptation and somebody gets up and gives their testimony. He's like, hey, uh, I smoked for like five years and then I crumpled up a pack of cigarettes and threw them out and never had another one ever again in my whole entire life. Right? And you're thinking to yourself, maybe I don't love Jesus as much as that guy does. Sometimes you'll struggle with something way more than somebody else will. That's just the way it works. But guess what? You have to set up more discipline for that, for the, for that specific problem. Okay? Like, you may look at it and go, um, uh, I, don't, I don't struggle with lust, right? Okay, maybe you don't. Good, praise the Lord. But guess what? Maybe somebody else does, and you're causing them to stumble because of the fact of how you dress. Okay, be aware of your brothers and sisters and understand that we're all chipping away at these things as we become sanctified as the word or set apart from the world. Radical amputation means radical discipleship. We look, act, and be different. You should look, act, and be different. If I were to look at your life, okay, and not just me, like Jesus were to look at your life, and he were to come down from heaven, and he would stand here in his physical form, and he would say, uh, Jordan, how are you different than the rest of the world? What would you tell him? I mean, if he were to look at you and, and be genuinely concerned for your life, and he would say, how are you different than everybody else that you know? What would you tell him? Radical amputation means radical discipleship. God wants your heart. He wants you to renounce sin. He wants you not to hold on to it, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He doesn't do this so you'll be miserable. That's not the point. He does this because he is a loving father who wants you to destroy sin that entangles you so the house doesn't become flooded. He wants you to understand that you can pull that stopper out and let all of these things run into his hands. It is better to experience the pain of removal, getting rid of a bad habit or something earthly we treasure than to allow sin and bring judgment and condemnation to ourselves. So examine your life for anything that causes you to sin and take necessary action to remove it. I don't know what that is for you. Is the water running? Is it time to turn it off? You cannot do this by yourself, I promise. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, I'll close with this, declares uh, Jesus can help us, and this is how I know. Ready? Hebrews chapter four says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So there's sometimes when you're gonna look at that struggle in your life and you're gonna say to yourself, I can't overcome this. Guess what? Jesus was tempted in every single way that you are and he overcame. And if he can overcome, you can overcome. Get help before it's too late. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> God, 
those are hard words. Because every single person in this building and in this planet knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have struggled with some form of lust. Whether that be for people, whether that be for objects, whether that's motives, everyone. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody struggles with this. We desire that which is earthly more than that which is eternal. And so uh, before we go any further, God, uh, it's the same prayer that you and I have, have talked about all week long. Give me, give these people, give your church eternal eyes. May we fix our eyes on that which is unseen, on the salvation that we received from you. If you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, man, um, I, I, I want that. The first step for you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is to confess with your mouth that you are a sinner and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and enter into a relationship with God through faith and trust. And it's, it's that simple. How difficult do you want God to make it? Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a savior. I believe that Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross was for me. I enter into a relationship with God through faith and trust in you. And you know what? The Bible says he'll do it. It's that simple. So if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the first step to getting these eternal eyes, to fixate your eyes not on that which is worldly, but that which is eternal, is to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know so many of us have. God, so many of us know you personally as Savior. We would declare that from the rooftops. Uh, but we wander like sheep. Just like your word says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We know that there's security in the flock, but we see things. We have this look in our eyes that makes us go after things that are not of your will or your word. And maybe you're sitting here today and you know very specifically what that one thing is. Or maybe there's two, maybe there's three. Maybe you're like me and there's like 20. Put those back into God's hands. Say, God, this is, you know my struggle. This has been this way. Maybe it's been for years. Maybe it's been just for a few weeks. And say, God, I, I'm just going to trust you in the process as I continue to participate in radically amputating that which entails. Maybe you need to write that down. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get rid of my phone. I'm going to get rid of my computer. I'm going to get rid of uh, that relationship at work. I'm going to stop eating lunch at that specific spot. What does it mean for you? And, and ask the Lord, ask him to reveal it to you through his power of what that means to radically amputate the sin that keeps you in your relationship with God at this massive distance. And he will, he'll do it. Maybe there's something that you don't, you don't even know what it is. You're like, you know what, I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. 
And if, and if that's the case and, and you're in a great spot, praise the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Just communicate that to him that he has rescued you and redeemed you and that he is working and that he is protecting you. That is a huge praise. And ask very specifically that you would be able to help somebody else who is struggling and that you would come in and be a Samuel for somebody else as the Old Testament communicates how Samuel prayed and intervened on behalf of the people. Maybe you could be somebody like that. And God, for your church, we pray that as we fix our eyes on you, that the things of this earth would pass away. We pray very specifically, God, that you would help us to see the benefit of that. That when we are full of you, the fruit of the Spirit just comes full circle. Give these people, give myself uh, that fruit, that love and joy and peace, patience, goodness, kindness. May we be known for these things as we go out into the world, as we're sent out into the world to accomplish your will, as we make disciples and make Jesus known both near and far. We love you. We thank you, God, for today. Thanks for spurring us on, convicting us, and teaching us. Now, God, we ask that you would encourage us to know that it's possible. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.